Welcome back to Mari's Music. My name is Mari Rutsch. And I'm Spoon Phillips. We have a lot to talk about. How are you doing today, Spoon? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's a lovely day, and this is a very special podcast. Because? Because we have a special guest. Oh, we really do. He's in the building! <laughs> Oh, the one and only Robert Getzel is joining us today, and we could not be more lucky and more appreciative. How are you doing today, Robert? Well, hello, fellas. I'm uh, I'm just fine sitting in my home in Lyndhurst, New Jersey, and it's beautiful here. I hope it's there as well. And what is the exact address again? <laughs> <laughs> he kids, he kids. That doesn't matter almost, now, does it? <laughs> I almost got you. I almost got you. I just want to make uh, one quick statement before we go too far. Robert is officially the first guest on Martins and More, so first of all, thank you so much. And it's worth mentioning, do not look Mr. Phillips in the eye. Do not speak unless you're spoken to. You know, standard stuff. Shh. You're not supposed to say that on the air. <laughs> I'll try to follow all the rules. In any event, we're really happy to have you here. My pleasure. And we probably should introduce you to our listeners by asking you Give us a little bit of a brief history of who are you, Robert Getzel, and, and why are we talking to you today on the program? Okay, well, I'll keep it brief, several hours. Um, <laughs> so, as I'm related to the Martin Guitar uh, family, I am Chris Martin's cousin uh, from his mom's side, not from the Martin side. And before I landed at the, at the company, I studied art and had a career as a freelance artist for maybe 20, 25 years before I came to Martin Guitar. And um, as a freelance artist, I've done a number of projects. I've had a number of children's books illustrated. I've worked with NASA, uh, the United States Golf Association, Scholastic Books in New York City, uh, a number of, of freelance projects. Um, and in between those projects, uh, I was asked by Chris Martin as we were gathered, sadly, by, uh, for a, a common cousin's viewing who had passed away at a pretty young age. And Chris Martin just threw out this invitation to me. Uh, hey, Robert, if you ever have an idea for a guitar, uh, send it along. And that was quite an offer. And that's one that I did not want to pass up. Uh, I can tell you an amusing story prior to that many many years ago when things are tough as a freelance artist like i have i had quit my job and my wife found out that she was pregnant with our second child <laughs> so there was like no going back but when things were really bad and i'm telling you they were they were kind of bad you know buying clothes at a secondhand store and i had parents that would help me out monetarily when i i needed to but i really wanted to make it on my own but i had asked chris martin if i could come up for an interview and maybe get a job <laughs> And I said to Chris, but I don't want you to influence anybody. And Chris's words to me were, don't worry, I won't. And I should have said, Chris, I hope you do influence somebody because I did not get a job up there. But <laughs> with that said, the experience of having to make it on my own as a freelance artist was very beneficial because when I landed at the company, I felt that my portfolio and body of work could speak for itself and people wouldn't just say well chris wanted robert's cousin to work up here because he can draw real nice you know but <laughs> so i had a pedigree before i landed and i'm thankful that chris did not hire me long before 
when I needed a job because I was able to pursue this freelance career and it was uh, pretty marvelous up until Martin. But I must say, working for Martin has been a real highlight. It's funny how things work out. Fascinating, fascinating. Yes. <laughs> Not always funny when they're working out, but yeah. <laughs> well, I'd like to know when you were coming up as an artist, did you formally study somewhere? Did you study art somewhere? Or was it something that you just developed on your own? When I was young, um, of course, with a, I guess, a talent for art, and not a talent for much else. You know, my father said, my mother must have realized, well, let him pursue this art because I guess he can't do much else. And I applied to a small school in New Jersey, which was really famous at the time called the Newark School of Fine and Industrial Art. And that school was housed on the fourth floor of a public school. It was, was one of the only public art schools in the country at the time for higher education. That, that was above a, a school called Arts High, where they would take gifted and, and talented kids from Newark, the Newark school system, who could sing and dance, play instruments, all of that stuff. And they would house all of these students in a situation where they could thrive in the arts and do schooling. So my art school was above a very talented high school. And we would have teachers coming in from New York City schools like Pratt and Parsons one day a week and instruct us. And teachers came from all over. I mean, one guy had a ceramic shop in New Hope. Uh, a lot of people had artistic careers and galleries representing them and they would come in and instruct us in painting and drawing, but there was no academics as far as science and math and uh, English. And that's all the stuff that I didn't want to do. So I was really happy where I landed. <laughs> That's so cool. I'm afraid we're almost going to get too much information too soon. I'm not sure if you've listened to the podcast before, but it's not uncommon for us to uh, spring a good trivia question on our listeners. Would you mind if we ask you to do that this week? Who, me? Sure. <laughs> so, trivia question. Uh, I guess for your listeners who are Martin aficionados, can you name my first project with the Mar Martin Guitar Company? And it was pretty significant. So it would be my first project that I did that the public would have seen uh, with the Martin Guitar Company. We bring that up. I'd like to mention that, that uh, Martin was able to acquire the ability to reproduce artwork on top of a guitarist top. And, uh, and originally, they could only do that on the on those uh, high pressure laminate tops but now that with the digital printer they can do it on very fine you know tone wood tops and i was very impressed that the otherwise conservative martin guitar company and chris definitely takes after his grandfather in that respect took advantage of this to do some absolutely amazing uh artwork guitars that robert f getzel is the primary uh, provider of. So we started with what you mentioned what the first one was. Let's jump up to the modern times. What are some of your um, recent projects that you've done for them that you're allowed to talk about? I know that some things are, might still be in the works, but that have actually been released. That's right, because I've got classified documents that I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's a good question. Um, and, and to your point, uh, Spoon, when you're talking about this high-tech printer, I was lucky enough to be at lunch when they were discussing getting one of those. 
And I was thinking to myself, oh boy, they're getting me a toy. <laughs> because, you know, that, that was really inspiring me with a lot of thoughts about how much I can do now and have it reproduced. But currently, I'm doing an awful lot of hand-painted models. And in fact, Chris Martin generously, uh, if you want to say that I've been given my own line of guitars, um, has given me this gift where there is a base model that has been designed with inlays and um, binding, beautiful abalone inlaid Martin logo at the headstock. And this is my uh, line of guitars, which are known as the D. Robert Getzels, and then then you're numbered. I'm currently working on six, I, I think. But they're hand-painted tops. So I'm physically taking a guitar that's been assembled, and the body is given to me. They keep the neck, and I work on a guitar directly on top of the tone wood spruce. And I'm painting with paints. Wow. And then I bring it back to them. That's spectacular. And they do the finished work on it. Now, so we'd like to point out to the listeners, I was going to call them readers, uh, the listeners that if you go to Martin Guitar now, you will find the D. Robert Getzel models displayed, some of the ones that he's working on. And like, for instance, the fr what was the first one of the new, which one did you do first of the new hand-painted tops? Ten technically, Spoon, the first one was a hops and barley model. That was a guitar that was um, sitting in R&D, and for some reason, I'm not so sure what the decision was, but they felt that they were going to just rough up the top with some sandpaper for me, and I could paint directly on there with a hops and barley theme. So I, I painted some hops, and I painted some barley. And yeah, that's gorgeous. the kind folks at uh, Huber Breeze bought it. And uh, I don't know if they've sold it, but it's either in their collection or somebody's purchased it from them at this point. So that was technically Robert Getzel one. But the real, in, in my mind, the real first ones were I did two Tiger guitars. And these are designs that I had developed on watercolor paper. And, you know, I do an awful lot of studies or ideas or concepts, and I bring them up and think and say to the people, to my colleagues that I work with, what do you think? Could this be a guitar? And occasionally they go, yeah, that'll work. So I did two hand-painted Tiger guitars, which then coincided with um, the Chinese Lunar New Year, the year of the Tiger, which is this year. And so um, I believe Tom Lee Music purchase two of those. For those who have not a chance to see this, we're not talking about like Jerry Garcia's tiger guitar with a little tiger inlaid on the headstock. The <laughs> entire spruce top, one's a white tiger and one's a, a traditional orange tiger. And it's a full face with these beautiful eyes and and snout and, and that fills up the whole lower bout. And then having tiger stripe it, you know, it's sort of stylized and you don't see an actual neck, but you sort of see then the tiger stripes moving up and the fur. And uh, really, um, one of the things that I've always been so impressed with uh, your work is, is how your depth and your three-dimensional, you know, perspective is sometimes just startling. Um, and those tiger guitars are just spectacular. 
Well, so thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a challenge painting directly on a guitar. Uh, a lot of people don't like imagery. So I get those that love it <laughs> and those I wish I never did it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the challenge for me, and this is a, a really sincere challenge and one that I take really seriously, is that, you know, when you're painting on a canvas, uh, such as, you know, canvas material or paper or whatever, and you can apply paint very thickly if you want. You know, it's like, it's like something when you're painting with emotion, you know, you're, you're putting down the paint and that expresses that emotion just like you would with a guitar or, or a violin or any musical instrument as well. But on the top of a guitar, I can't do that. So this paint has to be applied very, very thinly. I sand it down while I'm working on it to make sure that it continues to be this smooth finish. Because if you put too much paint on it and then they cover it with lacquer and you have a very rough surface of paint and they need to cover it with more lacquer and more lacquer to make this top just very flat and shiny, you know, the, the guitar is going to have six pounds of lacquer on it and it's going to sound horrible. So it still has to sound <laughs> like a quality Martin guitar because the price point is not cheap either. Oh, that's a good point. They're letting you paint on a guitar, but they're also saying, don't ruin it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Unlike a piece of paper, Maury, if I make a mistake or I'm blundering or things aren't turning out exactly as I would like, I just can't crinkle it up and throw it in the garbage. So, you know, I can't go back to them and say, I really screwed this up. I need a new top. That's not going to happen. You talked about the hops and barley design. Mm -hmm. Did that predate the hops and barley guitar that just did come out at NAMM? Yes. Uh, maybe by a year and a half. I'll ask the obvious question. Was, was the hops and barley that we saw Tim Teal showing us at the factory a few months ago, was that inspired directly by your idea? No. As a matter of fact, I believe they had that guitar in the works. And they tied... See, I was given a sinker model to paint on, that which became the hops and barley guitar. So I think they had this craftsman style hops and barley guitar already done as a prototype. Mm. Very loosely, I could see it had harp, hops, and barley. Yeah, this was something that Tim. This was something that Tim Teal uh, had seen a piece of. He he said it wasn't exactly folk art, but he saw uh, some artwork somebody had done uh, in when he was on vacation of barley, and he thought it was attractive. Reminded him of the old arts and crafts uh, movement. And then somebody at some point suggested, well, if you add hops to it, then you're going to you know then the whole craft beer industry thing's gonna come in. But it's quite a different design. The Roberts design uh, is a much more colorful and has these two, is it two or three or four, I don't know, enormous hops on the lower bout and much more ornate, uh, you know, the top is all uh, designed. Whereas where with this limited edition hops and barley, it's all inlaid on the headstock and the rosette and the pickguard. And it's not a painting on top of the top. So same idea, you know, same motif, if you will, but, but very, very different guitars. Nice. Yes, exactly. Uh, Tim wanted that, uh, the guitar that I worked on, the Hops and Marley, to kind of mirror the theme that they were already designing. And I think for whatever reason, maybe the sinker guitar that he had pulled off the, the wall and said, here, we'd like you to paint on it. There might have been something that Tim wasn't satisfied with, not sound quality so much, 
but perhaps visually on the surface of the top, which would have then been then covered up with paint. Was it? Was could it have been a torrified top? Was it a VTS top? And because that, that sometimes leaves you know anomalies in the darkens the top in various places. So I just wondered if that might be what was behind it. That could have been. He didn't really tell me why. They just gave me a guitar and I said, thank you, thank you, and walked out the door with it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would do too. Another thing I'd like to point out about these Robert F. Getzel line of guitars is these are thoroughly professional level guitars on par with the standard series. Some of the other models that Robert's artwork has appeared on that's done with the digital printer is in some of the more affordable price range, you know, guitars. But these are full-blown uh, hand-fitted dovetail neck joint, forward-shifted scallop bracing, solid East Indian rosewood back and sides. And they have, uh, at least some of the models, the ones I've seen, they have the multicolored rope purfling that is very similar to the Style 30 Perfling and Style 34 Perfling from the early 1900s. So really uh, well thought out and really attractive. The American Eagle one that you did that's basically got the American flag and then that enormous bald eagle, you know, swooping down with his talons is another, you know, stunning in instrument. Was that part of that series or was that one that was done with the digital printer? Oh, no, that's another hand-painted model. Yeah, I thought it might be because it looks so great. It looks really, really great. To, to your point, Spoon, because Tim Teal gave a lot of thought to how this base model guitar was going to look long before that, you know, as Chris Martin said, we want you to do these hand-painted series. But Tim kind of came up with the choices of embellishments and uh, how much bling he wanted to put on there and how, many, how much inlay and, and the rope, rope um, purfling that you mentioned. He did a stunning job designing this base model. And as far as I know, no other Martin guitar has this collection and assemblage of uh, inlays and, and purfling and binding. Uh, so it's, it's unique car guitar to begin with, even before I start painting on it. And the, and the White Tiger, at least, I don't know, I don't remember about the Orange Tiger, um, where the American Eagle has jet black ebony fretboard and bridge, the, the White Tiger one has highly figured I'm assuming it's ebony, but it's, you know, very, it's full of all, you know, different browns and blacks and, and, you know, again, very, you know, arresting visually. Um, so really cool idea. And I'm so glad you brought that up because with the White Tiger guitar, at least, it's important for Chris Martin to have a conversation with, with the Martin people, not in the factory so much as the Martin family that wants to buy their guitars from the Martin Guitar Company, to realize that there is a limited supply of tone woods, of black ebony, and they occasionally get shipments of what, they, what was being called striped ebony. And Chris thought that this would be a good model, the White Tiger guitar would be a good model to showcase some of the other options that they have for ebony that people maybe need to not get used to seeing black ebony because it's disappearing, right? <laughs> There's a limited supply. And so he, and this was Chris, Chris Martin selected this striped ebony for the bridge and for the fingerboard to be put on the Tiger guitar. So it was real collaboration, but he did want to showcase the fact that, you know, it doesn't have to be black ebony for it to be beautiful. Absolutely. 
And so that was part of that guitar story. And uh, I'm really happy that you brought that up because it's not something that they talk about too much because, you know, these old timers, <laughs> the ones that think Mark Guitar ought to have this, this, and this, things are changing in the planet as far as availability. And we're not always going to have this resource available for guitars. I mean, there might be something that you can manufacture that's going to be black and look like ebony and won't be ebony. But for now, you know, there's only a limited amount of all of these tone woods and, and all of these woods that are sourced. Robert Getzel just talked about the planet. Are you going to say it or should I? <laughs> you should say it. All right. We have to take this segue. We don't get many segues on this show. And when they show up like this, you have to run with them. Please tell us about the Double OL Earth. That is a project that I am, I am personally really proud of because I was just struck years ago, a few years ago, by this young woman, Greta Thunberg, who was taking this assemblage of students and going out on climate strike. And I thought to myself, what a beautiful thing, first of all, that, you know, young people are recognizing that, you know, the planet maybe is, you know, there, there are changes going on as far as climate, whether you believe it or not, but maybe it's time that we rethink how we're doing things on the planet for survival. And I was just so impressed with these kids um, that I thought, you know, as a statement piece, like in the 60s, when there were war protest songs or, or you know, people were writing folk songs and ballads and things like that, maybe they need a guitar. <laughs> so <laughs> I just put together this concept of this Earth, planet Earth, what I thought was a very simple design of the Earth uh, on this guitar, and I quickly did this watercolor sketch and sent it off to the company and my colleagues. And it bounced around for quite a while, but eventually Chris Martin said, let's do this. And you know, when Chris Martin says, let's do it, all of a sudden everybody's ears perk right up and they go, okay, <laughs> we should do it. <laughs> so it gets done. But what a collaborative effort this was up at the factory where other people said, you know, Robert, this is a nice artwork, but we're not going to put it on an HPL top, you know, we're going to make a guitar built out of sustainable woods. And we're going to do this very environmentally friendly, and we're not going to put plastic on it. And we're going to put it in a hemp gig bag. <laughs> yeah. And it became quite a project. And the reception has been, to me, very overwhelming. That people are, are catching on, that it's not just uh, a beautiful guitar, but it's a statement piece as well. If you're playing this in public, what you're saying is, you know, I'm on the side of the earth. I'm going to care for the earth best I can. Maybe I'll do some more walking instead of driving, riding a bike or whatever. But, you know, it's a statement that you're, you're aware of some of these environmental changes that are going on. And maybe we could uh, make them happen a little bit less dramatically <laughs> if we do certain things. So... Oh, yeah. And I, I, Lori and I really appreciated spending time with you at the NAM show, getting a really good look at it. And I know this might sound like a dealer talking about a product, and I don't mean to sound that way, but when you see these guitars in person, even if you do like the way they look in a picture or in a video, there's something about the way that the double OL Earth looks when you're holding it. And, and just, it's, you know, talking about it on a podcast won't do any better than a picture will. But I want to take this opportunity to tell you how much it really impresses me when you're actually playing this thing in your lap. Just looking at this instrument, um, not to mention its 
it's a beautiful sounding 17 in every other respect. These guitars really are amazing to me. I appreciate it. Those are really kind words. Thanks, Maury. The, um, yeah, where I'm fixated on the imagery, I'm counting on other people within the company to say, this sounds really good too. You know, <laughs> these are not, I, I, I don't want people to get the impression that these are just sort of cheap guitars with images on them that, you know, will make nice wall art. They're supposed to be, they're, you know, the quality is unmistakable and they're supposed to be played, not just hung up as pieces of art, but they also create a, a visual message along with the musical message that somebody might want to send or write, you know. So it's a combination of, of factors, the visual and the audio, which I love. I'm going to recommend that the uh, listeners look up some of these guitars while they're listening to this podcast. That guitar with the extra long double O body that's got the sloped shoulders, even though it's a 14 fret guitar, which gives him a nice broader canvas, if you will, uh, is just a stunning guitar. You know, I say this a lot about a lot of his artwork, but this, if you're not familiar with it, is the planet Earth with the clouds and the land and the ocean and this artistic, you know, stylized sun, like the star or star coming up behind it. It's just, it's, you know, it's beyond uh, description. So I really urge people to uh, search for it online to uh, see what we're talking about. Because it's, um, I think a lot of people think it's one of the most glorious ones that you've come up with. <laughs> well, well, thank you very much. I don't know what to say. You know, when I talked about the inspiration behind Greta, but I'm also going to go back to when it, maybe I was 10 or 9. And there was a time when Apollo astronauts were first trying to get to the moon. And tomorrow, I think we're sending a rocket up that's going to start another journey uh, in the future about, you know, going back to the moon. But, you know, when I'm nine years old, there's three guys in a spacecraft on Christmas Eve. And I believe they take a picture, which winds up in National Geographic, that I was reading at the time in 1968 or 69, where there's this moon, or there's this earth rise over the surface of the moon and you know as a nine ten year old kid it didn't take much for me to realize that this beautiful blue marble hanging in blackness you know this is it <laughs> right <laughs> we're out there we're not going anywhere else and the moon does not look like we can you know live on it we can possibly in the future but <laughs> not by walking around in the sunshine with the bathing suits and going in the ocean kind of thing so as a kid, I was inspired as well to realize that, you know, we get one planet and we need to figure out how to live on it peacefully as people, but also environmentally friendly. Now I sound like a genius at 10, but I wasn't. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, and I think it may have been Carl Sagan, but somebody along his lines said that that single photograph may have had more to do with uh, broadening and, and spurring on the ecology movement than any other single photograph. And yes. I remember it as well. Yep, I completely agree. Robert, you mentioned, you know, these are not cheap guitars. I think a lot of people uh, forget that, that the least expensive guitars that Martin makes are still really good musical instruments. And I think Chris once said that 50% of the world's guitar market for flat top acoustic guitars is less, you know, they cost $500 or less. And so yes. Martin, for many years, didn't even get close to that price range. 
But so with right. some of the ones that are made in the, uh, in Mexico, that with the high pressure laminate back and sides, and sometimes high pressure t uh, laminate tops, um, they still sound better than an, an awful lot of guitars you're going to find in guitar stores. And one of my favorite designs of yours was the one that was done to commemorate the anniversary of the factory in Navajoa, Mexico. Oh. Which has that artwork that's, you know, inspired by the national symbols of, of Mexico or Mexico. Yes. Uh, could you talk a little bit about that? Oh, I sure could. Thank you. You know, I forget sometimes all of the guitars I've done. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's kind of you to, to remind me of that. Yeah, that. Yeah, me too. It just came about because they were celebrating 30 years uh, of their facility in Mexico. And I was particularly um, impressed with the dedication of these Martin people in Mexico. You know, it's a Martin factory. It's not that, for, for those of, of your listeners who don't know, they're not outsourcing these guitars built off-site by a company somewhere. It's a Martin factory in Mexico run by Martin employees who have the same dedication as the, the ones in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. And everything is built according to spec just like it is in Nazareth, in Nazareth Pennsylvania. And so the suggestion was, again, it's always a collaborative effort for the most part. Somebody that I was speaking to suggested, well, you know, you should look at the Mexican flag. They have some really nice imagery. Maybe you can incorporate that as part of this uh, Navajoa anniversary model. And so I did. I took an awful lot of the theme, uh, changed it around to be a more pictorial story on the top. Um, but I did use elements like the, um, the golden eagle and the snake and the cactus things that you would see on the flag, but I was not allowed to use all of the symbolism because I guess the Mexican government had some reservations about taking all of the elements. But anyway, I mean, the legal team at Martin Guitar submitted all these sketches and uh, painting that I did, and we waited for approval uh, by whatever interior uh, government source it was in Mexico. And we uh, we listened to their suggestions and came up with this piece of artwork. Um, but yes, that was a watercolor that was painted and then reproduced on an HPL top and manufactured in Mexico. That was another question I was going to ask you. Um, before you got into doing the hand-painted tops, when you were doing the work for Martin's various projects, um, do you have a... a, a singular medium you work in a favorite medium or do you work in different mediums when you when you uh, are coming up with these paintings oh that, those are really good questions <laughs> i gotta tell you so i love all mediums i love working with oil paints with watercolor um, acrylic i work with but it's it wouldn't be my go-to favorite but for the most part i work with a watercolor and a mixed media sort of approach with paintings that are done that will be reproduced with that Mamaki inkjet printer that they use. Because I'll work on watercolor paper. It has to be scanned or photographed at that point and then altered through Photoshop to make sure it fits, fits the uh, dimensions of the body and the top perfectly. The difficult thing with some of these artworks is planning around a sound hole and a bridge. Because those are the two prime real estate spots right in my canvas. And I have to work everything around a big hole in the middle 
and this ah. other thing that sits there that the strings attach to and you you know sometimes you would like that image or the, the you know a clear bridge would be really nice by the way <laughs> but that's not going to happen yep. <laughs> so <Only. laughs> you have to work all the imagery around these you know parts of the guitar that are essential f for making it to sound really good so that is a challenge sometimes of coming up a comp with composition fascinating and i noticed um a lot of your uh guitars tops uh just have a hole because it's basically a picture with a hole in it but the new hand-painted ones get like you said that abalone rosette so you had to work with that too in addition to in addition to uh, having the hole there's also the uh the ringed rosettes that goes around it as well so um and Spoon, thank you for bringing that up because I've gotten really good at taking some very thin masking tape <laughs> and taping around all of these parts that are not going to have paint applied to them. So I do, uh, on that rosette, I do take the tape and I, I tape off the pearl that's in there and the, uh, the black and white rosette. And then I go around the binding area and, and cover that up. Uh, when they give me a body, they don't have the bridge attached, obviously. And they do something really special for me. They, they prep it, the, um, the spruce top white. They give it a thin coat of white ink <laughs> that I then sand slightly just to make some tooth. But I want a white surface to paint on because it's very difficult to paint, to me, on raw spruce. You know, the paint, because I start out with a white base, I don't need to apply the paint so thick to cover up, say, the natural wood color. Of a guitar if I'm doing a certain color so the white gives me a nice base to start working on but I, I have to plan around the bridge even though it's not currently on the body and then of course when they you know when they get the body back and there's this beautiful hand-painted top at least I like to think it's beautiful <laughs> then they have to wrap you know pocket route where the bridge goes and that gets a little dicey because you don't want them to chip off the artwork and you don't want paint flying off where it shouldn't and Interestingly enough, on the first two Tiger guitars, the orange guitars, there were th three Tigers altogether, um, Spoon. There were two uh, Bengal-style Tigers, which are the orange ones, and then there was a white one. Well, the first two Bengal Tiger guitars were hand-painted and brought to the factory, and somewhere along the line, either the top wasn't prepped right or my paint wasn't the right mixture with acrylic, um, medium in it or something the paint and the lacquer were not compatible and they were getting checking on mm. the surface mm. and they kept sanding it back and trying to put more lacquer to fill it in and it wasn't working they had to <laughs> they had to sand off the entire top illustration and all all of my paint and give me a new uh -huh. white top and I had to do it all over again but I think the second one's turned out even better so well, this conversation is going very well, and I'm going to go ahead and stick my neck out. Let me ask you, Robert, are you having a mediocre time yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm having a great time. Well, we can run for three hours today, right? <laughs> well, you're going to cut into Spoon's lunchtime if you do that. But I have a question for you that I probably should have started with. I don't want to go too far before I ask the question everybody's got on their mind. Do you play guitar? Uh, everybody has that question. Mm -hmm. Well, I say so. It's sort of a sickness. I think I have five or six <laughs> Martin guitars. <Wow>. I do <laughs> strum. Um, nice. And I enjoy my 
personal stage performances at home in the kitchen <laughs> Excellent. that nobody else hears. It's really relaxing. I enjoy every minute of it, but I, I don't play. And one quick sh- story that I'd like to share is that when I was, you know, at that age, 10, 9, I did want to learn guitar. And my parents, you know, maybe typical of parents of that era, the Depression era, thought, well, you know, what if he doesn't like it? Should we buy an expensive guitar that's going to sit in the closet? Or we'll get one of those cheap uh, Sears Silvertone models, <laughs> and we'll let him play that. And if he's really good, we'll go get him another guitar. Well, first of all, my music teacher, I have to say, that was a disaster. I had four lessons. He yelled at me the whole time about looking down at the notes, at the strings. I mean, I'd like to introduce him to Eric Clapton today and say, hey, this guy does it too. Um, <laughs> but he discouraged me from wanting to play. And, of course, true to my parents' fear, the guitar wound up in a closet, and I never played it, you know, aside from four lessons, because, let's face it, doing scales for a half an hour at the time, I mean, I just wanted to learn a few tunes, right? So, I'm working on my scales. My fingers hurt because the action is killing my fingers. It sounds like crap, (laughs) and I just couldn't stick with it. Yeah, that's very discouraging. You know, so you can take some inspiration from this story, because a friend of mine who was the same age, she said to her father, Robert's got a guitar. Dad, I'd like to get a guitar too. And he bought her one. I think he bought her a good one. And she wound up using that instrument and going into the music field and playing and still plays today. And I think was elected singer-songwriter of New Jersey maybe a half dozen years ago or or nine or ten years ago. And she kept it up. No way. My disaster turned out to be something positive for somebody else, which was great. Do you want to mention her name? Give her a plug? I sure will. So, um, a lifelong friend, I still talk to her, uh, Loretta Hagen. No way! Uh, She was in Nashville for a very long time. Huh? Do you know her? I sure do. Jim Monahan and friends of ours, when I'll say Jim Monahan and Spoonos, who I mean, I I saw Loretta Hagen several times in Jersey, sure. Yeah, Jim's a big uh, DJ in New Jersey. Wow. Well, we grew up two doors apart on the same street. Uh, A lovely gal. I love her. She's a great kid. (laughs) I still think of her as a kid. We're all in our 60s. (laughs) Uh, But she's terrific. I mean, a lovely person and a great musician. And, uh, you know, she's still doing it. She's still making it part of her life, which you got to admire. So that was a long answer to your question, whether I play or not. No. That's very cool, though. Well, that's the kind of answer we wanted. And I, I, I want to say it's a small world, but it's a small double O-L Earth. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great plug. Yes, indeed. You know, one of the things working with, with the company, and one of the benefits to maybe having family own the company, like Chris does, and not having a board of directors and not having, you know, it's not a publicly owned company, is that... Chris can sometimes let his mind wander and say, this would be a good idea for a guitar. And he doesn't have to send it for approval, right? He doesn't have to bring it to the board. Nobody has to approve it. We can just do it. And he is, again, so generous with me. There was one project that I really wanted to do just to highlight the plight of Native American people, indigenous people, and which still exists. And I put together this illustration of, of this Native American tribal leader 
and I wanted to have a custom guitar made just for me, but I also wanted to show Chris Martin this is how it could look. If you if you would like to do this guitar, and maybe we could donate uh, money to the charity. That was Chris's suggestion, and so I did this. Um, uh, it was I think RG RG eighteen D eighteen, and it turned out beautiful. And uh, I was another project that I was really proud of because I could highlight a cause that was near and dear to me. You know, Native American people in the in the United States often mistreated. You know, uh, through the ages, but. Because of Chris Martin, you can bring ideas like this to him. And if he sees a merit in it or something, he will give it his wholehearted approval and back it, which is just great. I mean, they, all, they don't always uh, get his approval. But when they do, it's a really special thing, at least for me. Oh, I remember that model. That was gorgeous. Thank you. And you had already done the... Uh Oh, what's the name of it? I can't think of it. There it was a children's book that you illustrated about Native Americans that oh, yes. I remember. What was it called? I can't think of it right now. But um, I could help you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Okay, yeah. If you want to go ahead and <laughs> mention it, um, go ahead. But uh, I just thought I might be able to pull it out of my aging memory, but I can't. Well, thank you. I, I, I did too. One was Many Nations. Yeah, um, that's the one I was talking about. Yeah, that's the one I was And remembering. the follow-up book was called Seasons of the Circle. You know, in, in my freelance career, it's amazing how many doors would close, but another window of opportunity would open. And I've been so lucky in that career when things seem to be coming to an end that another opportunity would come up. And by luck, by chance, in a day and age where I could bring a portfolio of artwork to real people and you know call up a company and say I'm a, a local artist I'd just like to meet with the art director you know bring my portfolio see if you can evaluate it maybe there's work that we can do you know that was the kind of day and age that I grew up in and I was lucky enough to have somebody who happened to love my work and right off the bat offer me a Native American children's book based on some of the things that they saw in the portfolio <laughs> and luckily that book wound up winning award, an award, a Teacher's Choice Award, um, in wow. 1997, Wow! Uh, which then gave me another opportunity to do the second book, Seasons of the Circle. But, you know what, I, I, like, to, I like to mention an awful lot that I realized that this journey that I'm on as a freelance artist couldn't happen without people along the way who said, yes, I believe in you, yes, we love your work, Yes, here's a project, uh, you know, and that starts obviously with your parents who say, oh, Robert, <laughs> oh, it's just so beautiful, you know, <laughs> but then other people start saying, you, we like your work and here's a job and here's more work and you're never in it alone. Uh, you know, if I could, I would introduce all the people that have helped me along the way. I'm, I'm sure there were thousands who have supported me in some way or another, whether they uh, got me my first art supplies and my first easel as a, as a young kid or invited me to work on something and just kept encouraging me along the way. This journey has been amazing because of the people that I've met and, and worked with and continue to have relationships with. It's just been, uh, it's, it's been a, uh, just a godsend. Yeah, it's very nice. You mentioned early on that, you know, some people wish you didn't do this at all, like they have to <laughs> impose their 
the way they think things should be on everybody. Um, and one of the ones that <laughs> has gotten a lot of uh, comments is the, is the recent uh, aircraft nose art and that is inspired by the nose art on a P, Curtis P-40 Warhawk that if people know the flying tigers that were in the uh, mercenaries in the Chinese Air Force that eventually became a part of the American uh, Air Corps and, uh, and Army Air Force, that particular guitar, and when you see it in real life, the three-dimensional aspect of it is just astounding. Like from across the room in the picking parlor at the factory or wherever it is, it looks like, first of all, it looks like Army Air Corps green from like 1941. And it looks like uh, sheets of, of aluminum and rivets, like real, like you could walk over and rub your hand over it. And I expected it to like be rough where the rivets were. And how did you accomplish that? Sorry, folks, we had a little bit of a connection issue and some of Robert's audio is a little bit less than optimal. But stick around, it's only temporary, it does get better, and you won't want to miss the end of the show. Well, <laughs> that, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because that was done actually a, a number of years ago. Again, another collaborative effort. Um, it, it, a lot of these projects do start with conversations with Tim Teal, whom I know you know very well. And Tim had suggested that we do this sort of flying tiger theme on a guitar. And, you know, that's sometimes the only instruction I get. Well, uh, Spoon, you asked a really good question because what wound up taking place was I asked Tim for a spruce top um, as my base to start working on. And he ordered green paint the military green, and sprayed this wood top. That was the beginning canvas for me to start working on. I mean, I did a pencil drawing and, and a pencil layout and everything, so I knew how everything was going to look. But I then, using that spruce top, carefully drilled holes where rivets would go. And I created this dimensional piece of art, if you will, buying screw heads that would work of realizing that the screw heads on aircraft are all horizontal. So the wind flow goes right through them, right? So the slots of the screw heads will let the air drift right through. So none of them are going vertical. So keeping that in mind, keeping in mind rivets and, and thicknesses and depth, I drilled very carefully into each, into the spruce and inserted either like facsimiles of rivets, which were small nails that I bought at a local hardware store. I special ordered screws that were flathead screws. Um, and I created this piece of artwork on top of this wood spruce that was dimensional. So I painted on, you know, painted the shark eyes and the shark teeth and mouth on top of rivets and things like that that were done. And we were also going to include little guitars True multimedia. I mean, you were actually it was partial sculpture. Yes. Well, we wanted it to look like an airplane piece of art, but realizing that it was on a guitar, and I wanted the wood tone and the grain to come through as well. So it looked like it was actually built on top of an airplane. That's exactly right. That's exactly what it looks like. But it's a wood sculpture. 
it's wood of the guitar that's showing through. So I carefully gouged and I sanded and I created lines where the fuselage would be put together. And, uh, you know, it was quite a process. And I also designed little guitars. Um, and, you know, sometimes you see them in a movie or old photographs where you have this dashing mm -hmm. pilot next to his plane. And there are little planes stamped on the side of the airplane, like planes he shot down. So I was thinking about adding uh, models of guitars, not Martin guitars, you know, <laughs> but in the corners so that we could like stamp them and they were they were like the kill shots but i think from a legal standpoint they decided <laughs> not to do that and i think it was a good idea that they did yes and also they you know sort of the pacifists among the moravians and the you know may i could see them <laughs> taking exception to that but also that's the other thing the exhaust the exhaust ports um that clearly you didn't actually put exhaust ports on that thing those things look three-dimensional they it's just really uh really stunning uh, again, a collaborative effort. I did hand paint the exhaust ports, but they handed off that artwork to somebody in the Photoshop department, a graphic artist who sort of made it look more true metal, true to life, rather than the brushed on hand painted look that I was accomplishing. I'm always amazed at, at people who can create three-dimensionality three on a flat surface. And like I said, when you see that guitar from across the room, it looks like you could go over and and grab those uh, exhaust pipes and pick up the guitar and carry it by them. You know, it's really, really stunning piece of work. Before we go any farther, there is one other guitar I definitely want to mention today. Mari and I have very good friends, uh, Paula and Brian Murphy. And you did, you took a an order, uh, a commission of Brian to make a very special guitar top for him. And again, another wonderful piece of work from Robert F. Getzel. And could you talk about that a little bit and how that came, came to be? Uh, sure, Spoon, I'd be happy to. Um, my pleasure. I, so I guess for one of the events that Martin was doing, maybe back in 2018 or so, um, they used to host these events maybe during Martin on Main Week or maybe Music Fest. I can't remember precisely, but they'd open up the factory and the unofficial Martin Guitar Forum would show up and Martin uh, club owners and everything. And uh, I was doing a presentation in the museum, uh, a small talk, uh, using my artwork and showing off some of the work that I had done for the company and the projects and all. And this very lovely fellow, Brian Murphy, came up and asked me if I could create this artwork on a guitar for him, an illustration. And so I made sure that it was okay with the company before I said yes. And they said, that's fine, go to town. And so Brian and I talked and he told me what he would like and the sentiment that he wanted on the top of the guitar. And to me, it was just so lovely um, that this couple of Adirondack chairs would be illustrated on the top of this guitar. It was a very special place for him and Paula. Uh, up, I guess, in the Adirondacks on these chairs with a beautiful upstate New York setting and a lake and a, a large tree. And in that tree, he wanted the name of Brian and his wife, Paula, to look like it was carved in. Kind of a sweet idea, you know, something teenagers would do when they're in love. And uh, that just struck me as something really beautiful, a very lovely sentiment. And I thought what a lovely way to profess his love for his wife and that they wanted to share that special moment as a couple. And so I put together an 
illustration that was done in pencil before I proceeded to do anything like in painting. And uh, I think Brian originally wanted to order a different model guitar, but I'm kind of limited to the size of guitar that I can do or I can work on with a Mamaki printer. That's the high-tech uh, inkjet printer that they use. And so um, I think Brian had to talk to a Martin authorized dealer and order a guitar. I believe it was a double O size, uh, not a dreadnought size. And he had, to, he had to order this special guitar. And that took some time. So then when Brian had to sort of reconfigure his idea about what he wanted to play in the model, I did this illustration and uh, submitted a color study and he, they just liked it. They liked it so much. Then uh, we printed it up for him and they built a guitar, only one guitar like that. And he was really thrilled. And it was so nice to see him this year at Martin on Main, Brian and Paula, still so happy. <laughs> you know, they're just a wonderful couple. And um, it was just great hooking up with them. Strangely enough, at the Boak Bash, you know, Dick Boak was a longtime employee and he had a, a retirement uh, concert a number of years back. And just recently he had Boak Bash 2, went over that big. And uh, Brian introduced himself again. He said, hey, Robert, and we happened to be sitting uh, right directly in front of him. And it was just lovely to reconnect with him and his wife. I have to say, I enjoy seeing, again, how much he loves that guitar and what a joy it is for me to be able to share my talent in this regard. You know, the joy that somebody's getting some something from this artwork, you know, the love that they have for the Martin guitar, but also the, the love that they have for this artwork. It's just a beautiful thing. And I'm kind of overwhelmed because I never thought really that my work would have that much impact. Um, you know, you hope so. Uh, but often you don't see that result. You don't hear that feedback and you don't see the joy on the, both of their faces, the big smile that they just have when they're holding this guitar. So, you know, as a starving, <laughs> starving artist, um, getting that kind of feedback is just an amazing thing. Yeah, lovely story. Yeah, I've always wanted to hear your side of that because it was, uh, I thought it was a, a very nice thing for, for you and for uh, Martin to go, you know, go ahead with for them. Well, you know, it's, it's a long process. Um, I put together some sketches for Brian and then a watercolor study to see, you know, what his thoughts are. And again, it's just a slow process. I create, I just, well, I should say, I just don't create a piece of art and say, here you go, pal. Hope you enjoy it. Hope you <laughs> like it. Um, but I work with a client and I try my best to please him, no matter how many sketches it takes, but essentially to capture that vision that he has, in particular, Brian, but any client, capturing the vision that somebody has, which is not easy, you know. I mean, somebody has an idea for a guitar or whatever, a piece of artwork, some kind of commission, and you just can't take uh, a saw right? And open up their skull and look in their brain and go, oh yeah, I see what you mean. You know, it, it just doesn't work like that. Um, you got to kind of create a piece of artwork based on what you're hearing and through their description and how passionate actually that they are when they're describing this. Um, so yeah, yeah, it would be a lot easier <laughs> to look in their brain, but so it's a process and it's an enjoyable process. And sometimes it's frustrating on my end because, you know, I want to achieve what they're looking for, the client, you know, whatever that is. And despite the fact, just saying that I'm talented enough, that, that's not really it. There's, there's always some doubts that creep in. And I'm always second guessing myself whether I'm doing 
the, the right kind of artwork and the artwork that they're looking for. And in my mind, you know, I'm not sure uh, that uh, it's probably true for every musician or every artist or every writer or anybody in a creative field. You know, when they put something together, a creative piece of work uh, out there, and they're probably asking themselves, you know, am I, am I doing my best with it? Can I do better? And so that's part of the struggle when I am creating a piece of artwork. I have to say that there's not a project that I'm working on that hasn't been or hasn't given me fits. You know, nothing's easy. Um, I say to people, you know, even though they're looking at this beautiful artwork and they go, you know, oh, this is so fantastic. What they're not seeing is the struggle there as well. The struggle that I'm having trying to achieve the right color or the right composition or whatever, you know, nothing comes out as I envision it. Talk about my brain, you know, I wish I could look in my brain and see how it's supposed to turn out. And it's just a frustrating thing sometimes to work through it. And, you know, you keep at it, you try to reach, achieve the result. And it's getting kind of close, you know, getting close enough. Maybe it's not exactly what I thought. But if you step back as an artist, and you look at it and say, you know, that's not too bad, that really works. It's, it's almost there. That can be somehow part of the process, you know, the struggle. And it doesn't always look like it originally was supposed to look in my brain, uh, but it's close enough. And you kind of put it down, uh, you do it, and you move on to the next project. And I'm sure it's like writing, writing music or writing songs. Uh, and you guys can tell me all about that. You know, I have no idea how you start writing music or how it turns out in the end or what your vision for that song or that piece would be. Well, the way I like to write a song is to uh, look over Spoon's shoulder and cheat, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't try to add more frustration to your life. All those people listening to this program, whether it's on YouTube or their podcast platform, can you tell them where they can find you? Maybe somebody listening to this show would like to commission something with you. How would they go about doing that? And that is a great question, Maurice. So what I think the first thing they ought to do um, is not contact me directly. Uh, that should be done either through the Martin Company or a uh, Martin distributor or dealer, and they should go through that channel first. First and foremost, I would like to think that I'm exclusively a Martin artist at this point. And so it's going to be a Martin guitar that I'm working on and probably a custom guitar. So that would be the first step. And I wouldn't want to do anything in this budding hand-painted career right now to upset the apple cart. So I think if they wanted a custom Robert Getzel on a custom Martin guitar, they should start out by contacting a Martin guitar dealer or distributor, but they can, you know, who's ever interested, I can suggest that they would certainly look at my body of work if they wanted to tune into my Instagram page um, and see some of the work that I've done for the company or some of the other freelance work that I've had over my career. Um, and so if they look up my name on Instagram, R-F-G-O-E-T-Z-L, um, I think they'll find my page and they'll be able to get a good insight about the work that I'm doing currently and the work that I've done in the past. And that should kind of whet somebody's appetite if they were really looking for a commission because there's an extensive collection of my artwork um, on that Instagram page. Good answer. Good answer. Nice. And we'll put that information in the show notes as well. If you're watching on YouTube, check the description below for Robert's Instagram link. And of course, feel free to ask us at Maury's Music for more information as well at support at maurysmusic.com if we can help connect you with Robert F. Getzel.
Do you uh, have any problems telling us what the F stands for? Yeah, no, not at all. Uh, you don't want to take a guess? Well, I could guess. Oh, oh, hold on. All right, well, I think the easy guess is Frederick. <laughs> uh, so my father's name, I was named after my father, uh, Robert, and my mother's name was my middle name. So my mother's name was Francis. Oh, so Robert Francis Getzel. Sounds like a, uh, like a 19th century novelist. Um, <laughs> or maybe a naturalist. Um, that's more fitting. So. And you know, well, as an only child, uh, growing up, both parents are gone now. At first, as a youngster, uh, I was never too cool about having my name the same as my dad's, you know, because it would got very confusing because he would be Big Bob and I might be Little Bob on one given day or Robert or Bobby. Um, people called my father Bob. They called me Robert. Some people in my family called me Bobby. So some, you know, it was very confusing. But, you know, now that I don't have my folks around anymore, I feel like, you know, it's a real honor to have both of their names part of a part of me and that they stay with me my whole life, the rest of my life. So I think it's, it's all a good thing. Nice. Another good answer. Another good answer. So, so yes, like you said, your new budding, your new budding position or career as doing the custom hand painted tops on these very cool guitars that you're doing in collaboration with Tim Teal, head of instrument design at Martin and, and the CEO himself, Chris, your cousin, uh, so in a way, you've come a long way since 2008 when this all started. So maybe it's time to reveal the answer to the trivia question of what was the first model that a Robert F. Getzel artwork appeared on the top of a Martin guitar. And that would be the 175th anniversary. The guitar that Martin produced, um, that was the first one. I created the artwork. And they also had me paint the same design on a, a real uh, wood guitar, an HD28. So I had a dual project. I actually, actually had three projects. Um, and at the time, we worked on a Dreadnought style artwork for both. The one that I was working on was an HPL top. I also worked on a little Martin, I think they were called the LX. And so I had to change the proportion of the illustration and paint another piece of artwork to fit the dimensions, but they all had to look similar. Uh, the only thing that changed really was some of the size and the composition of some of the subject matter. Um, and then they asked me to do a hand painted model and which I did with the same design as the DX uh, and the HPL, which was uh, the, the HPL top. So I guess I never knew that. I guess I knew that you did the one-off, the HD 28 hand-painted one. I always wondered how they got that onto the DX, but they were really three separate things entirely. So it wasn't like they just, you know, digitally shrunk down the one for the DX and so forth. So, uh, yeah, that, that's right. So the DX artworks were done uh, with watercolor on watercolor paper to the correct dimensions. And I created two separate pieces of artwork, uh, one for the Dreadnought size uh, and one for the Little Martin, the DX size and the LX size. 
And then I was asked to do the hand-painted guitar uh, as well. And, you know, they had, they had to have all this done for the NAMM show, which was coming up. So my first project with Martin Guitar was like this really high-pressure thing, you know. <laughs> this invitation came out of the blue. We would like you to do a guitar for us, and suddenly I'm doing three, and I've never painted on a guitar before. And so I had to do these three guitars in a couple of weeks uh, so they could get them all done and built, constructed, and sent to the NAMM show, which was coming up uh, along with their anniversary. So it was pretty high pressure for the first project, um, and I think it turned out pretty good. I mean, uh, they they were they were really pleased, and for just you know just another plug, if you don't mind, the museum at the factory, the Martin Museum, the Martin Guitar Museum, has a gorgeous collection of guitars, and that hand painted 175th guitar is in one of the display cases. So uh, if your listeners should make the trip, if they want to come out to Nazareth and visit the factory and the museum uh, in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. They would spend a lovely day taking a tour and then they could tour the museum and see some of my work as well, along with this fabulous collection of Martin guitars. If guitars are your thing, uh, get to Nazareth, Pennsylvania, and just look at this one-of-a-kind priceless guitar collection that Martin has housed in their factory. It's it's a really a world-renowned museum. And, and for those who've never been there, uh, which will certainly be some people listening to this, uh, you might even be lucky enough to run into uh, Robert at the museum or in the visitor center right outside the museum. And if you don't, you will certainly see his artwork on the fabulous mural that is the, the real centerpiece of their very nice uh, visitor center. And so that's a chicken and egg story. Uh, did the guitars come before the mural or were they connected together? How did that come about? So after I had finished the 175th anniversary guitar, uh, I think there were few and far between projects, but I really wanted to keep myself up at the factory. So because of this 175th anniversary project and knowing a bit of the history of the Martin family, which really intrigued me, I. I put together an idea for a mural within uh, the visitor center. And I put together all these little drawings that kind of told the story of the Martin history. And I laid it all out and presented it, not just to Chris Martin at the time, but to uh, Keith Lombardi, who was president also. And they loved this idea of having a mural there. And so they asked me to put it together, to take those few sketches and come up with a, a large model, which turned out to be about six foot by 12 foot after this guitar project. And uh, it was a project I put together myself because I, like I said, I just wanted to keep working up there in the company. So I was just trying to find a way to do that. Oh, fascinating. <laughs> so you pitched it to them. I, you know, it's really, it's really a lovely thing for anybody who's like me, who has spent decades uh, with their own fascination with the Martin family history. And, uh, and I think it's, uh, you know, I, I was tickled pink when I first saw it. Um, but uh, I thought you did a marvelous job. And um, that was long before you and I had ever actually met. And so, so let me tell you, if I haven't ever told you how much I liked the mural, I thought it was, uh, I, I didn't realize it was your idea. So now I'm even more impressed. But so thank you for doing that. 
Oh, thank you. You know, it, it took over six years. And I know everybody kept teasing me that, you know, Leonardo da Vinci painted the Sistine Chapel in less time. Um, and it was a bigger project. But I was really, you know, I was intimidated a bit by this project that I gave myself because I realized very quickly uh, that people, unlike myself, knew a lot more about the company history and about the Martin guitar and all of the little specifics that went into that than I did at the time. So I wanted to make sure that I was doing everything as accurately as possible. And as I was working on it, you know, my head, <laughs> here we go again, <laughs> right? My head kept playing games with me. And, uh, you know, well, like if, if somebody sees it and it's not quite right, I better go back and make sure everything is just exactly as it should be. And, you know, it was just a time consuming project. And, uh, trying to get this mural done. I was working on six panels. Um, each one actually told the story, but that assembled into one big panel. So if you can picture this, each panel actually could have been hung separately to tell its own segment or story of the Martin history on its own, but then it could be reassembled to the mural that you see now. And uh, when it's assembled, obviously, like a puzzle piece, you get this whole mural that's involved and I created it's a very dimensional piece of artwork and I was creating some of the things that were in the archive room uh, like ledger books or shop foreman notation books and so I was creating these uh, not just paintings but three-dimensional artifacts as well and I had a very small art studio at the time in my basement and I was trying to work on these panels and you know my wife was coming down with laundry baskets and stepping over the mural and the cats were jumping on it and it was like very difficult to get this whole thing done in that space so i eventually you know i eventually found a different space to work in uh, a larger space to finish it that i could lay the whole big mural out and work on it uh, it was like i said it was just time consuming but i i really appreciate the compliments that people are willing to share with me and how pleased they are that i've done it and I'm not saying this uh, to, to brag, but people have told me they just stand there with their mouths open, <laughs> looking at all of the little pieces that are involved in each one of these panels to tell the story. Um, and so, you know, it, it's kind of like a Frankenstein monster, right? You know, this assemblage of all these parts and you're just, uh, you hope it's going to work, you know, you hope it's going to walk. Um, I'm now picturing uh, Chris coming by in Pope's robe saying, when will it be finished? And you being... Uh, <laughs> Charlton Heston saying, when it's finished. <laughs> <laughs> I'm now picturing young Frankenstein. <laughs> well, right. Yeah. So it's, it's alive. It's alive. <laughs> well, speaking of time consuming, I feel terrible, but I think we're out of time. Uh, I got bad news and bad news. The bad news is we're almost done. And the other bad news, I think we have to ask you back on this program sometime in the future to talk about the museum. Well, Maury, I... <laughs> You don't have to talk me into that. I'd, I'd be very happy to be back on your show um, to talk about the museum. It's certainly a passion of mine. It's another way, truthfully, that I can help tell the Martin story. And I'm not just visually with a, mu a mural, but um, you know, part of my job is to create the museum displays that people, uh, visitors can see when they come to the museum. So that, in a sense, is a continuation of uh, the Martin mural and telling the, the story of, of the Martin guitar and the Martin family. Uh, and speaking of cats, um, 
she who must be obeyed is telling me it's time for me to go feed her. So, um, Well, I have one more serious question before we go, and I want to thank all of our listeners for hanging out as long as they did. Much of our conversation was centered around that beautiful guitar, the Double OL Earth. So you have your co-host, Maury Rutsch, your co-host, Spoon Phillips, and we'd like to ask you, I'll speak for both of us, you've done a beautiful guitar based on my home planet. Do you plan on doing one for Spoon's home planet? <laughs> uh, regular Bob Hope, this guy. From all of us at Maury's Music, including Robert Getzel, thanks for listening. Bye for now, and we'll see you again soon. Hear you later. This has been a presentation of Maury's Music, your trusted source for Martin and Blue Ridge guitars. Find us online at maurysmusic.com. <laughs>